like the the frame of the house before you start putting the outside on and the walls on and the and the wiring in and the plumbing in. It's the basic structure. Without all that, all you could just hang some wiring and some plumbing, but if you didn't have anything to nail it to, if you didn't have a foundation to set it all on, it wouldn't stand, would it? And so we need to have these core values. And I just, we've talked about apostolic doctrine. And we all, I think pretty much everybody in this room knows pretty much where, what that's all about. And, uh, you know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study to show thyself approved. So what, the way I read that is don't just read it once and say, okay, yep, and make sort of a mental assent and say, yep, I read that. That's what it says. But make that something real in your life so that you know that you know that you know that you know. Right? And I I almost hate making these references to the military, but sometimes it just fits. And I, I used to hate weekly training on Wednesdays. We'd have weekly training on everything in that common task book. And we'd have to train on how to put our protective mask on and how to put our protective gear on and, and how to do all this stuff. And it was like so monotonous after a while. It was like, you think we need, we still need to do this? I think I got this down. And then we, we went to one of those situations over in Iraq in 91 and they were lobbing those scud missiles. And I remember a buddy of mine telling me later that how all of that training came full frontal in front of him whenever they started announcing there's there's an incoming and he the first thing they had to do because they were putting chemical weapons in these things or they thought they were so the first thing he did was reach down and grab that and he did it exactly the way we did it in training every week didn't even have to think about it, it yeah see six seconds to put it on nine seconds to seal it and then the rest of it you, you go from there clear and seal your man so we need to know this like like that. We need to know this so well that we don't even need a Bible to give a Bible study, an impromptu Bible study, riding on a on a public transit bus, or you know what I'm you know what I'm saying, or sitting next to somebody on an airplane. You just never know when you're going to have the opportunity, and so it's important that we have these core values, these core basic structural things solid in our life because then we can build upon that then we can start studying the deep things and start building upon and adding to that and god will begin to give us greater revelation as he sees that we can handle that i don't i've had people say things to me like like they think i'm a bible scholar or something and i just kind of laugh at them like (laughs) not even close that's how i feel right now but if you go back to when i first got in church i surely wasn't but I've come a long way from that. But I still don't feel like I've, I've even scratched the surface of what's in this book, Sister Bell. And I probably never will. Because the Bible says, eye is not seen and ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. He's not going to show it all of his hand right off the bat. But as he sees our hunger and our thirst and desire to know more about him, know more about his word, He's going to reveal it to us. He's going to reveal it to us. Apostle Paul didn't know it all. He knew a lot of 
He knew the scriptures and he had studied with Gamaliel and he, he knew he was a Pharisee. He, he studied in, in the best of the best colleges of his day and studying the scriptures. But at the same time, he knew very little. When he had that experience on that road to Damascus, he found out how little he knew. Right? And, and then what did he say when he, what was the reason that, that God was giving him this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet him because he was giving him revelation. He was revealing things to him and he wanted him, he didn't want him to get lifted up in all this knowledge of God that he had. Right? Because it's in him we live and move and have our being. So the more I know, the more I'm able to share with somebody else, the quicker and easier it is for them to begin to get the light turned on in their life. So the, the, the foundations are important. Apostolic doctrine, we've talked about apostolic identity, keeping our identity, you know, identity, we, we are, we identify with, in this world with who we are. If, if you see somebody walking down the street with handmade clothes on and a big black hat and a, a guy with a beard down to here, you identify that with a certain group of people, don't you? They're all over the place around here. They have an identity. Or a guy in a black, a dark blue uniform with badges and stuff everywhere. That identifies that person as somebody specific. I'm not going to say who. But in your mind, you're already getting a picture. So we identify, we have an identity that we have to maintain that identity. It's important. Why is it important? Because this world out there needs to see that there's somebody that is different. There's something different about you. You don't laugh when the jokes are told. You, you do, sir, you, you always have a song on your, you're always humming a, a tune and, and there's just something unique and different about you. What is it? I look for those opportunities. I can't wait for somebody to ask me that. So I can say, well, I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And it, does it feel funny when you first do that? Absolutely. But you got to tell it. It's your testimony. Nobody can take that away from you. And it's all based on the Word of God. And so we've got that identity. And, and then we talked about unity. And I, I felt the Lord impressing upon me to kind of touch on and kind of stay on that subject. I I'm going to try to get to worship, but we're going to talk a little bit about unity this morning. And that scripture there says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, If therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the divine call wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, not getting all puffed up and thinking how smart you are now, but with loneliness and meekness, realizing where all that's Who's getting all the glory for all this stuff? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I kind of keyed on that as I was looking at this scripture. I keyed on that phrase, that, that little part right there where it says the unity of the Spirit. Now, how many have ever heard the, the phrase, the, the Spirit of unity? Anybody ever heard that before? Doing something in the Spirit of unity? I, I did a little search in my iPad Bible for the spirit of unity. And I also did a search for unity of the spirit. 
And spirit of unity is not found anywhere. But if you go online and you look up the unity of the spirit, you'll find all kinds of articles on spirit of unity. But it's not the same thing. So we're going to talk about that today. So the word unity in the, in the dictionary, it says it's a state of being one, oneness. Right? These two shall become one flesh. Right? Oneness. A whole or total or totally or totality as combining all parts into one. The flour and the eggs and the sugar and the milk and all that good stuff all joined together makes one cake. Or lemon cupcakes in the case of what my wife brought for the kids for Sunday school. Little lemon bites. She just likes tempting me with stuff because she knows I'm trying to be Mr. Thin Man here. Oh, she said, go ahead and have one. I said, no, that's okay. <laughs> Get away. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> right. A state or a fact of being united or combined into one as the parts of a whole. Unification. Your body is united. Bible talks about that. So we've probably heard, as I said already, that phrase, having a spirit of unity. The phrase can apply with regard to many things, right? Get this picture in your mind. A bunch of drug addicts in a crack house. That's a house that's been abandoned, and they've all kind of just gone in and taken it over. And they're all sitting around on the floor with their needles out or whatever, and they're doing drugs. And they're all, that group of people, let's say there's ten of them in the room, they're functioning in a spirit of unity, aren't they? Because they're reaching toward the same goal, which is getting high. And they're all looking across the room at each other and saying, yeah, my buddy over there, he's he's doing good, and I'm doing good, and that one over there is that. And they're all in a spirit of unity. Doesn't mean it's good. But they are in a spirit of unity. Protesters marching for some cause are marching, what, in a spirit of unity, right? It might be wrong. It might be immoral. But if they're standing for their cause, if they're willing to, to, to take off of work and, and travel to, the, to Washington, D.C. and be a part of that march, they are in a spirit of unity, right, wrong, or indifferent, right? There might be a group over here protesting against abortion. There might be a group over here protesting for it. They're both in a spirit of unity, aren't they? Right or wrong. So you can have a spirit of unity, right or wrong. Runners that are headed to the same finish line are running a race with the same goal in mind, right? When you line up to do your two-mile run or in the Marine Corps three-mile run, everybody lines up and they say, and they have all their, their stopwatches ready to go, and they say, go. They hit that stopwatch, and you got you got two miles to run. You're trying to get the best time, and you might not get the same time as the guy next to you. He might get in before you or behind you, but you're all reaching toward the same end, right, to get to the end of that run so you can find out if you passed your PT test. Or 
in high school in track. They're trying to get, they're trying to win the race, right? They're all reaching to the same goal, so they have a spirit of unity. They're all agreeing and reaching toward the same objective. So even in the church, we can have, and we do have, and we should have, a spirit of unity among us. Unity is important. It's just like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago. If if uh, I was talking about the uh, right before the Kentucky Derby, they have this airplane pull, and all these companies and all these businesses get a team of people together, men and women, and they all unite together. To and the UPS has a big hub there, and so they'll park a plane out in the middle of the, one of the runways, and these teams will go out there one by one. They make up silly names for themselves, and they wear all they get the same T-shirts made. And, and they all get united to pull this airplane. They might pull it from here to that door, maybe, if they're lucky. I'm talking about like an L-1011, a big one. And it's all for the purpose of generating some money for, you know, some cause, right? But they're all out there united. Some of them pull it five feet and some of them pull it five inches. But they're all trying to get to the same end. So we in the church can be like that. We we can be united toward the same goal, the same end, and have a spirit of unity among us, right? So it can apply in the church, out of the church, anywhere in the world. But Christian unity, which we're going to talk about, the unity of the spirit, which the scripture talks about, is a unity which starts within us and works outward. Just like, kind of like, I guess, the example of tree, a tree. In the wintertime, the sap all kind of runs down to the roots, and the tree loses all of its leaves, and it stands there bare until the warm weather starts coming up. And people that, that make maple syrup, they know that when it starts warming up, to get those, those plugs in those trees, because that sap's going to start running up that tree, right? So it's just like that. So the the spirit, the unity of the spirit, capital S spirit in the scripture, it's not it's not from us. It comes from him. And that scripture says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we've got to do something about keeping that unity of the spirit. Just like that flower or that tree or the human body. Nothing happens without one thing happening. Your brain's got to tell your heart to beat. And it's got to tell all the organs to function. And everything works together toward the same end, right? Keeping us alive. And so we, as the church, as the body of Christ, got to be working towards the same goal, the same end. And it's not about us. The word spirit in these verses of, of Scripture is capitalized. It refers to the unity provided by the Holy Spirit. Because really, truthfully, we could all have different agendas and different goals and different purposes, and we could totally be not united at all as human beings, as individuals in this building. But what is it that unites us? It's that same spirit in us that draws us to the same purpose and goal of building his kingdom. 
of furthering. He gives us the desire to serve him. No man comes to me except I draw him, right? That's what the Bible says. So he gave us the desire to even come to the house of God. He gave us that hunger. It's a gift from him. He put that unity in us. It's his spirit of unity. It's that unity of the spirit working in us. So the unity of the spirit can exist only in the church of Christ because only he can make people one. Once again, if we sat down at a table and started discussing different subjects of things that are going on in the world today, we would all have varying different opinions about stuff. Slightly different, right? You might feel one way, I might feel another way about something. And you have your reasons why you feel that way, but when Jesus Christ gets involved, our opinion doesn't matter. Because we have this book. And I'll have... Wayne, pick up the Sunday school offering right after we're done. Praise God. We have everything we need right in here. Right? The Word of God. That's how we got here, right? He gave us His Word. So love is the bond of perfection, the bond of peace, the glue that binds the members of the body together in Christ. We love Him because He first loved us, right? We love one another as Jesus has loved us. He commanded us to love one another. So I, I don't love my, my brother and my sister with my own love. I love them with the love he put in me. His love. His, his agape love, that agape love is unconditional. There's no conditions. I don't, you know, I, the love I have for my brothers and sisters, a familial love, right? Or for my coworkers that I work with, that's a different kind of love. But this love is, is a God love. And this is how he unites us. That's how he keeps, that's what the spirit of unity is, I believe. The unity of the spirit is that bond of love, that, that agape, that love that he showed for us that we give back to him and we in turn give to one another. Because the Bible says what? You shall know we, we are Christians by what? Our love, one for another. They'll know by our love, one for another. That was the amazing thing to me when I first got in this. It was the love that I felt from the people. It wasn't phony and fake. They really loved me. They really were concerned about my soul. They really wanted my wife and I and my kids to be in their family with them. The family of God. And you could feel that. It wasn't phony and fake. And that's one of the main things that drew me, drew my wife. And that, as a result of that, there was a spirit of unity in that group of people. In our situation, it was all four branches of service of people represented in that church. So they, they were able to, all of that didn't matter. All the inter-service rivalry we had. <laughs> You know, the Marines against the Navy and all that. We didn't have that. We were united together under that one umbrella of the Holy Ghost, of, of this truth. We were united, and all those external things didn't matter. We were family to one another. So what is our sole purpose as God's people on the earth? We are God's people, aren't we? Amen. I got one amen out of that. <laughs> Praise. 
The Great Commission, of course, right? Well, that's our, that's our purpose and goal. That's our whole reason. That's why he saved us. What did he, he didn't go pick his 12 disciples so he could, so they could just sit over in the corner and wait for Jesus to come back. What did he do? He commanded them to go. And he commanded us to go. The purpose for unity, the unity of the Spirit, is for God's people to work towards the same end, sharing the gospel and the love of God with everyone that will listen. Some people won't listen. There was a whole lot more than 3,000 people there on the day of Pentecost. Only 3,000 said, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, that's what I want. But we still got to tell it. We can't make that our excuse for not telling it. Well, they won't want to hear it. Why do you know that? If God put them in your path, they might need to hear it. They might be sitting at home at night, laying in their bed, praying, God, send somebody to tell me which way I need to go. Because I'm going to tell you right now, that's what led me. Because I heard a lot of different doctrines from a lot of different people. And I was I was confused. And somewhere or another, I, I really didn't read my Bible that much, but somewhere or another, I, I ended up reading a scripture that said that God was not the author of confusion. So one night I just prayed, okay, God, you said that, so unconfuse me. I didn't know how to pray. Help me to know the, because there's so many choices to choose from. How do I know which one's right? I had nobody to tell me that. And don't you know, he started leading me down a path that led me to this. And I knew, I, I knew that was the answer to prayer. Because I, once I got a hold of this, as <laughs> far as I was concerned, not, there was nothing else. This was it. And it is it. It's still it. It always will be. Unto whomsoever will, right? Praise God. <laughs> we must keep. That scripture said keep the unity of the Spirit. That word keep in the Greek means to keep an eye on it, to watch, and hence to guard it, to keep it, to obey it, to particularly to watch and observe attentively, to keep eyes fixed upon it. we got to keep our eyes fixed upon this thing. We've got to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's going to take work. It's not a magic wand. This, this thing we have is not just, God doesn't just go bling. And you're saved and you don't ever have to put any forth any more effort or anything to stay that way, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> it takes W-O-R-K, work, commitment. You got, we got to be committed to this thing. When I stood before that guy at the Justice of the Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, and I said I do, I, I made a commitment that I was going to, this is it. She's the one, nobody else. And I've stuck to my commitment. Right? It hasn't always been an easy road. Most of it has. But we all go through those rough times. But that's the, that's the main thing is through even the difficult times, I have stuck to my guns. And said, this is it. She's the one. That's it. No more. And that's the way we need to have our, in our relationship with God. I've made up my mind. I've got a made up mind. I don't want to go back out there to that that I left. There's nothing out there for me. 
Nothing I want out there. Right? It's not man's invention. Christian unity is not our invention. We work together to keep it, but our unity comes from him. It's not created by a formation of central authorities or a publication of human creeds. If we do, if we start doing that, then we've departed from the unity of the Spirit and we've started creating our own thing. So we've got to be careful of that. Christian unity is a gift from God and it must be preserved, it must be kept and maintained. We've got to work together, folks. Even among our differences, we've got to work together towards the same end, laying our differences aside sometimes. Because what, what our differences are don't really matter, does it? If I want to see a soul saved, I got his his purpose and his goal is foremost in my mind. Matthew twelve twenty five says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You can't, if you have division in your household, it's not going to work. If everybody has their own opinion and everybody's trying to do their own thing, we're not going to stay together. We're going to splinter and we're going to just, everything's going to fly apart. They were trying to tell Jesus, well, you're, you're catching out devils by the spirit of the devil. <laughs> like, this is the way I read this. Are you hearing yourself? Do you hear what you just said? A house divided against itself cannot stand. How can I be casting out devils if I'm the devil? Why would I do that to myself? Right? So, we got to, we got to hold on to this thing. Because the devil doesn't want us to be united. He's going to do everything he can to divide us. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 18 says, For as the body is one, hath many members, and all the members that, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, just one. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? That's weird. One big eye. If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He is the root of the unity. The, the, the unity of the Spirit of God. He has brought each one of us into the body of Christ uniquely. We each have our own talents, our own abilities, our own foibles and flaws that are unique to us. And God can use each member of the body uniquely for his purpose. 
That's why we all aren't doing the same thing. We all don't have the same gifting. We all don't have the same compunction toward doing certain things. You might like doing administrative stuff, and somebody else might like doing yard stuff and, and maintenance, and somebody else might like uh, teaching Sunday school. And that's why God, he knows how to bring in a team of people that will fill every, every role in the body. Amen? And so we've got to be united in that. The unity of the Spirit exists only among those that have one faith of the one Lord and those who have been baptized by the one Spirit into the one body, the Church of Christ. And last time I checked, my body only has one head. Right? So anything with more than one head is a freak. Right? So there's only one head and there's only one body. And who's the head? Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. We are his hands, his feet, we're his voice, we're everything that he needs on this earth. He is the head. The head, what is it that, that makes everything function in your body? Your brain. The head is in charge of the body. So he has fitly joined us together. It's his spirit. Of unity. It's his unity of the spirit, not ours. But he expects us to, to be obedient to it, right? And to work together. Right? Amen. I know. Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6. We started out in this with Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And, and as I was reading and studying this, I read a little further and I thought, wow, this... We really need to go a couple verses further. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord. That word Lord there is, is in the, in the Hebrew, it's the same word Jehovah. In the, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew equivalent of that word is Jehovah. So there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. He was telling the church in in Ephesus some stuff right here. He's trying to help them out. Maybe they were struggling with some unity in their church. Maybe they were, were, because they were, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, they they were kind of fighting against each other and saying, you know... Some of them were trying to say, well, maybe we need to, you know, do some of the stuff from the old law. No, 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 no. The old law has been done away with. We don't have to do all that stuff anymore. So Paul's trying to bring in a spirit of unity and the unity of the spirit. And he says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So grace is a gift. He empowers us. The way I the way I understand grace in my own life is that you know we we when we think of the word grace we think of God's unmerited favor, right? But really, to me, it is that. But it's even more than that. God, by God's through God's favor, He is giving me the power and the ability, to empowering me, just like an employer empowers an employee, and says. Hey, you can do this. I don't need to micromanage. You go do it. Tell me how it turns out. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is empowering the church towards a spirit of unity. And so how do we maintain, how do we keep that spirit of unity, that unity of the spirit? By keeping our focus on the one where it comes from. As long as we're focused on him and not on us, That's the same thing Paul went through. Paul Paul got to a place where he stopped focusing on Paul and started focusing on the one who saved him. And as long as he kept his focus, and you know the Lord kept sending these trials and tests and things in his life for the purpose of helping him keep his focus. So sometimes some stuff starts happening in our life and we think, Oh God, what are you doing? Why am I going through this? And we know that all things, Romans 8:28, work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose, not our purpose. So we're not going to understand it sometimes. Sometimes you got to go through some stuff in your life. It's about building your character. It goes back, and it goes back to these core values. God wants to keep us on the right path. You know, you don't when you're running that two mile run, you don't want to get off the path that they've set forth. You're going to end up running longer than you need to. Stay on we need to stay on course. And it's going to take work. It's going to take effort on our part. Real briefly, quickly, I'm going to kind of get into worship. Um, and then we're going to kind of end this thing. Number four, apostolic worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. I'm sorry, that's in John 4, 20 through 24. Jesus saith unto her, woman, talking to the woman at the well, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Excuse me. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is worship? We've heard the terms praise and worship, what is praise? Praise is, is we can, you can praise anything. You can lift up and edify anything. You know, there's people that praise stone statues and things like that. But for us, what is praise? That's our, that's our standing before the Lord and, and, and just singing unto him and telling him how much we love him. To me, that's, that's what praise is. You know, when, when David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, when they were singing, they were playing all the timbrels and all the instruments, that's praise. That's a united, that we're, we're together. You can, you can praise the Lord by yourself. How many times have I heard women over the years talk about praising the Lord right there in their, while they're doing the dishes? In their kitchen sink. But sometimes you just you just feel that come on you and you just gotta praise him. You just gotta tell him, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you, God. But now worship 
this word worship in this scripture, it, it's the Greek word proskunio. And it means to kiss, to adore, to worship, to do obeisance, to show respect for and fall prostrate before. That's what worship is. And sometimes I think we get worship and praise confused. Because if we really were to worship the Lord like this says, like it says in that book, when we got up to, to in our praise, if we got into a spirit of worship, we would be down on our face. That's what this says. And and in in the countries where they do this stuff, if you come upon somebody that's of a higher rank than you, you're supposed to get down on your face and bow and and bow to your forehead touches the floor, and you're supposed to blow kisses to that person. And that's what this is talking about. To kiss, to adore, to worship, to, to do obeisance, to show respect for and to fall prostrate before, to throw a kiss in a token of respect and honor. So we're supposed to, in our worship, we're supposed to throw kisses to Jesus. Right? Isn't that awesome? I love, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I worship you. I adore you. You're my creator. You're my redeemer. You spoke. I be. I came into existence because of you. You breathed into me the breath of life. Amen. Yes. He's the king. He's the king and he's in charge of the kingdom. That word kingdom breaks down to king's dominion. That's where kingdom comes from. So it's worthy. He's worthy. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy. Is any of us in this room good? too good that we can't bow down? And get on our face before God and prostrate ourselves. That's all that is, is worship. And it feels funny to do it, doesn't it? It's, <laughs> but sometimes even in my own prayer life, I, I find myself feeling like kneeling in a chair is not good enough. And I find myself feeling like I gotta prostrate myself on the floor and just say, here I am. I'm your servant. I, I, this is the, I mean, I don't even feel like this is good enough. But here I am, Lord. I'm, I'm laid out before you. I'm prostrated before you. To do reverence and homage to someone usually by kneeling or prostrating oneself. This is what that word worship means. And we misconstrue that word sometimes. So even if you're not, this is my approach to it, even if you're not physically prostrating yourself, there are times when I feel like I need to prostrate myself, and I'll do it in the, in my, in the spirit. While I'm driving down the road, I just 
feel the overwhelming presence of the Lord and I'll begin to prostrate myself internally and say, <laughs> when I'm watching that sun come up in the morning going down 90, I'm like, <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. You're doing all of that. You're making me breathe in and out. I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> you, you deserve my worship. You deserve my praise. It doesn't matter if I want to or not. In Exodus, in several places in the Old Testament, we're, the people of Israel were commanded to worship the Lord. They were commanded to do it. If we could go to Matthew 4 and 8 real quick. Again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Next verse. And saith unto him, All these will I give thee if thou will fall down and prostrate yourself. Tell me I'm worthy. Worthyship, as sister said. Tell me I'm the one that's worthy. And, and the next verse says, Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship. Thou shalt prostrate yourself, give homage to, and blow kisses to the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Period. End of story. Let's go real quick to Psalms 150. I'm just going to go probably most of the way through it. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him in his, for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the tremble and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Do you realize that's the only prerequisite for praising the Lord and giving Him worship? Is to have breath? It's the only prerequisite. Right there it says, let everything that has breath. So I can be, I can give praise and honor and worship to the Lord and not really, you know, we all started somewhere. I wasn't living for God when I first stood in a church and, and gave him praise and worship. It, I wasn't. But when the songs were, were sung and, and the people around me were worshiping, I felt like I needed to do it. Not because they were making me do it, because I felt like I, I had a faith. I, I was raised in a, in a home where I believed in God, and I thought, wow, this is, this is something we, I, we never did in, in church growing up. Man, i got to do this. I gotta make up for lost time. I haven't been worshiping him. I haven't been praising him like I ought to. Apostolic worship is unique. Our apostolic worship is unique. I mean, you know, they, they've said in the past that some of the people that they've gotten to do our sound at General Conference couldn't handle it. They couldn't keep up with our apostolic worship. Because it is so profound that the Spirit of God gets in it and, and they just, it's just different than just playing songs and singing music. 
We have something special, folks. We have, we got to keep that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we've got to have apostolic worship. Amen. I got to worship him. You got to worship him. I can't worship him for you, Sister Sue. You can't worship him for me. I got to tell him I love him. He saved me just as individually as he saved each one of you. It's personal and it's individual. He doesn't just save us and then forget about us. Oh, who was that? What was her name? What was his name? No, he doesn't do that. He's not an old man forgetting stuff. He's, he's God. He's God. He didn't just save us so that he could say he did so. He had a purpose and a reason for saving us. Amen. And I'm sure Brother Parker will continue this. Maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, we have our, our uh, evangelist coming this week. Uh, Wednesday, I think. I'm not sure. But, uh, God is going to do some great things through that man, Brother Hutchinson. And we're looking forward to having him here and our pastor and his wife back. Amen. So let's go, uh, have about a 10 or 12 minute.